Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Friends, Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life, the largest pro-life ministry in the Catholic Church. Great to have you with us. Thank you for coming to Praying for America across the body of Christ, across the nation. We gather as Christians and patriots to lift up our prayers for this great country, knowing what is going on. We don't only comment on the news, we pray over the news. And there's lots of good news as well as lots of bad news. I want to invite you to uh, start uh, putting up your prayer intentions as well as any questions and comments uh, that you may have, and we'll get to uh, them as we are able and uh, let's start as we usually do with our scriptures. Then I want to talk to you about what the Biden administration is doing in response to the Supreme Court Dobbs case. And I also want to talk about that tragedy in San Antonio and uh, ask where does where does blame go for that? And a few other things as well. Uh, states are starting to take action as well in regard to the Dobbs decision. We're going to talk about all these different things. So Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 21. You have heard it said to your ancestors, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to fiery Gehenna. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, leave your gift there at the altar, go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court with him. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. Let us pray. Father, you command us to love one another as you have loved us. You command us, Lord, to not degrade the human person, but rather to recognize each human life as a person. You command us, Lord, to love our neighbor as ourself, to recognize our neighbor as a person like ourself, to recognize that no matter how different our neighbor might be from us, he or she is our neighbor, equal in dignity, equally loved by you, equal in rights. And Lord God, we ask that our society may be delivered from the manipulation of language, the disrespect for language that would refer to some people as something less than human. May we lift each other up with affirming words, with positive speech, and with a deep regard for human rights. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, great to see such a big audience. You know, Professor William Brennan wrote a book some years ago called Dehumanizing the Vulnerable, When Word Games Take Lives. And whenever I read this passage from the 
Sermon on the Mount, I think about that book, it, it shows how when various groups of people have been oppressed, enslaved, killed, various acts of genocide, uh, they have been called names first. They're called derogatory names, parasites, for example, human waste. Uh, we see this in the way that those killed in the Holocaust were treated, and we see this at various uh, stages of history with slaves and other degraded uh, groups of people. And now we see it in regard to the youngest children. The children in the womb are called parasites, uh, tissue, right? Clumps of cells, dehumanizing language. This professor has analyzed this. It's an historical pattern. When It's like the bully in the schoolyard. Before the bully beats up his victim, what does he do? Calls him names. This happens on the micro level, it happens on the macro level. You want to deny a whole group of people their rights, you put dehumanizing language as a label on them. Well, friends, let me know where you're from. Let me uh, see your comments and questions, and uh, let me uh, uh, continue here with a little bit of commentary and prayer over the uh, news. So dozens of dead migrants were found, as I'm sure you've uh, seen, in the back of an abandoned semi in San Antonio, Texas. Well, as my friend Gary Bauer said in his end-of-day update today, the blood is on the hands of Joe Biden. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said as much. He said these deaths are on Biden. They are a result of his deadly open border policies. They show the deadly consequences of his refusal to enforce the law. And he's right. These deaths are a result of this absolutely horrific open border disaster. Throughout his campaign, now I'm quoting from Gary Bauer, the, for the White House, and from day one of his administration, Biden and Harris and progressive politicians have sent a clear message throughout Latin America and throughout the world that anyone who wants to get into America will get in. And they'll be treated, in fact, better than American citizens. The left is, in, is giving illegal aliens free health care, free cell phones, baby formula, flying and busing them all over America, and uh, getting them protection in sanctuary uh, cities. And they will do everything that they can to give these people the right to vote through a massive scheme of amnesty. This is absolutely outrageous. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray for uh, the victims that were found in, in San Antonio. Their families... Uh, Lord God, wherever they are from, whoever they are. And we ask you, Lord God, that this tragic incident will awaken the conscience of America. That this tragic instance will cause more and more people to hold the current administration accountable for these policies and bring about change. We ask, Lord God, that, that the American people may go deeper than just the surface of this story and ask why, why are we allowing just an uncontrolled 
access to our country because allowing this uncontrolled access, Lord God, is not allowing us to properly care for those whom we do want to let into this country. It puts these people in great danger as this sad incident reveals. Restrain your people, Lord God, from putting more and more of our brothers and sisters from other parts of the world into danger. And rather, give us the strength and the realism to be able to say we will secure our borders and admit people into this great country as we do more than any other nation does, as we have done more generously than any other nation does, but that we will do so in an orderly and lawful way with respect for their dignity. Lord, wake us up. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. You know, it's amazing how people that are in favor of this open border stuff will often couch their their policy preference in very spiritual language, even biblical language, right? You know this. And of course, there's a truth that people are grasping at, that, oh, well, isn't everybody around the world our brother, our sister? Yeah, well, of course they are. But the, the, the problem with this is that we make the logical jump, which is actually illogical, from them being our brother and sister to, oh, we automatically have to let them in. That doesn't follow. They're our brothers and sisters. That doesn't mean we have the obligation to bring them into our country any more than it means we have the obligation to bring them into our house. There are people already here. There are people who are citizens that need a meal. Does that mean that you have to bring them into your kitchen tonight and, and serve them a meal? It doesn't mean that. The obligation to do good has its limits. In fact, even if I thought I had to personally feed every hungry person, the person I'm feeding now means there's a person over there that I'm not feeding now. The obligation to do good is always limited by practical circumstances. You can't possibly carry it out in every place at all times. It's impossible. If I'm in New York feeding the poor, I can't be in Los Angeles feeding the poor. Whereas the obligation to refrain from doing evil does apply always and everywhere, and that command can always be filled always and everywhere. This is an important distinction in, in morality. Let, let, let's, let's, let's look carefully at what, I, at what I'm saying. You have some commandments that say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not kill, for example. You can't kill the innocent. Okay. Where does that oblige you? And where and when can you observe that commandment? Well, it obliges you at all times. There's never a moment when it doesn't oblige you. And it obliges you in all places. There's never a place you can go where you're not obliged to refrain from killing the innocent. And in fact, it is quite doable. It's quite possible, isn't it? For you to always observe the command never to kill the innocent. That's what is called a negative precept. Thou shalt not. But then there's the positive precepts. Feed the hungry. Let's just take that one. Yes, to help the poor, to feed the hungry. 
Maybe we volunteer at a soup kitchen. Maybe we write a check to an organization that's feeding the poor. Maybe we help our friends in government with legislation that, that reduces poverty. Look at how President Trump lifted so many millions off of food stamps and reduced the poverty level in our country. And we worked with him. We worked to put him into office. We worked with him while he was in office to do that. And we praise his success in doing that. But let's think about your obligation and my obligation to feed the hungry. Does that oblige at all times and in every place? We can't possibly. I couldn't be, I wouldn't be broadcasting to you now if it obliged me at all times. I got to go give some people some food. And how could it apply in all places? I'm not going to be going to be in, in, in a place at all times, every hour of the day. I'm not going to be in a place where that's doable. Right now, the room that I'm in here has there's no food in this particular room. You see what I'm saying? I can't feed the hungry when I'm sleeping. So a negative command you can always be fulfilling at all times and all places, and it in fact obliges you at all times and all places. A positive command has practical limits. It has practical limits. So then translate this into the open border question. So there are some, and some of them are religious leaders, some of them are bishops. Oh, well, you know, these are all our brothers and sisters. We have to welcome them. Well, yeah, they see, that's a positive command. Treat them as brothers and sisters, welcome them, yeah. But within the reasonable boundaries, first of all, of what you, and by extension, what the nation is capable of doing, and under other practical conditions. How do we let them in? How do we vet them? so that we're not letting in people who are going to do harm to our families, to our communities. There's limits. And then, and then, and then what's annoying about this whole thing is not that, you know, there's no silver bullet or easy solution. Well, what's, 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 what's infuriating about this whole thing is how people so easily miss this distinction. They throw practicality out the window and they're as naive as can be about the potential dangers of letting in dangerous people. If the only thing you consider is, oh, well, there are brothers and sisters. Well, yeah, but for goodness sake, let's be, let's have some common sense. It's like I told you, Senator Rubio talked that he gave not long ago in an event that I was at with him. You know, this is a battle between, not just a battle between left and right, of course, it's a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between common sense and insanity. It's just insanity what the what the current administration is doing. So uh, God have mercy for the taking of these lives. Uh, let me see now uh, some, some other uh, questions that are coming in. Let's go to some others that are down there. Um, oh, Wendy is talking about Pelosi. Oh, yeah, this is another thing we all saw uh, on uh, social media there. Uh, Pelosi has no respect for little kids, allowing the little girl, uh, elbowing the little girl next to her, the, the daughter of uh, our friend Myra Flores, uh, whom we congratulate, of course, for her historic election. Uh, what a shame the little girl's mother is a Republican. Vote red. Amen. No, that, 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 that was absolutely, um, that was absolutely uh, outrageous as well. These people, they, they specialize in outrageous behavior. Uh, we talked in a recent program about having outrage overload. Right. I mean, there's so many things that go on uh, after a while. It's like, uh, 
uh, it, 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 it's hard to keep up with with all of that. Okay, so now we are in a position right now where we're uh, seeing. Um, oh, let me see. Where do I have this uh, this information? Uh, we're seeing in the states the trigger laws take effect. This is very exciting. We have now um, a number of states where abortion is now illegal because, remember, over the years, states have passed trigger laws which said once Roe v. Wade is reversed, which, of course, happened this past Friday, this law protecting babies in the womb will go into effect. The reason there had to be a trigger, of course, is that Roe v. Wade said to the states, you can't protect the babies prior to viability. That in itself was a totally unconstitutional prohibition, which was which was at the nub of what the Dobbs decision decided. It was an unconstitutional prohibition to say you can't protect the babies. So the state said, okay, well, once you take that ridiculous roadblock out of the way, you know, we're not going to wait until then to pass this law. We're going to pass it now with a time uh, uh, a mechanism there that, that the fall of Roe v. Wade will trigger this. Now, you have a trigger law in place. What's happening now, what's been happening in these last few days is that various states have activated, have declared to be the law of the state that the trigger bans are in effect. Now, in various other states, injunctions have been lifted. This is the second thing that is happening. They have passed laws to protect babies in the womb Maybe the law was from 15 weeks, as we have it here in Florida. Maybe it was uh, at 12 weeks. Maybe it was at six weeks. At whatever point, maybe it was from conception. At whatever point they um, passed the, this, uh, the law, it was challenged in court. And again, because of Roe versus Wade, the, 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 the federal judges looking at the case had to apply what's called a vertical precedent. There's vertical precedent and there's horizontal precedent. Precedent being a court decided a case on a certain issue in the past, right? So that's precedent. The lower courts, if you're talking about a decision from the Supreme Court, the lower courts have to adhere to the precedent that the higher courts set on the issue that they're judging, and that's called the vertical precedent. Horizontal precedent, well, we saw this happen in the Dobbs case. The Supreme Court was looking back at Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, it's horizontal because it's on the same level as they are. It was the Supreme Court looking at a Supreme Court decision. They are bound by horizontal precedent to a certain extent, but not absolutely. Under certain conditions, they can reverse that precedent, which is exactly what they just did in the case of Roe and Casey. Uh, so um, what I'm saying here now is, before the Dobbs decision happened this past Friday, and really all through the last 50 years, decisions in the lower courts in regard to pro-life laws that are protecting babies in the womb were governed by virtue of vertical precedent by Roe v. Wade. So these judges were saying, okay, I have to, I have to uh, block this particular law if it's protecting babies before viability. But once, a little over a year ago, the Supreme Court announced that they were going to revisit that whole question about whether pre-viability bans on elective abortion are unconstitutional. These judges who were looking at similar cases said, okay, I'm going to put my decision on hold 
and I'm going to wait to see what the Supreme Court says. Well, we know what the Supreme Court said. The state legislatures can protect these babies as much as they want. Praise God. And what that means is that a lot of these laws that were under injunction, now, if the attorney general go of that state goes to the judge, goes to the court, and says, we're asking in the light of the Dobbs case, lift the injunction on this law, that now has begun to happen. And so a number of other states are protecting the unborn now because the injunctions against uh, existing laws have been lifted. This is what is going on right now. And yet in other states, there's another scenario unfolding, which is that they are creating new pro-life laws. And again, listen, everything is on the table now. The court did not set any limit to the kinds of pro-life laws that states can pass. And then finally, you have uh, another scenario where challenges are being made. And some of the states, I know Louisiana is in this category, are are activating their pro-life laws, but now judges are, are halting them in the name of their state constitutions. And I told you that this was going to be a battleground. You know, the pro-abortion people, they can't persuade people that dismembering and decapitating babies is okay. They, they, they can't do that because it's indefensible. So what they'll try to do is that they'll try to hide behind a constitution. They can't get the persuade lawmakers to create laws, so they'll hide behind a constitution and they'll find in the constitution a right that, well, for some reason, nobody found it before right to abortion. But he found it before. And or they will uh, get try to get the people to put it in there. That's a harder process to amend the Constitution. But some states are trying to do that, too. So we have battles going on. Kansas, Michigan, these are two battlegrounds for this. And other states are involved as well. We'll give you uh, even fuller updates in later programs. But this is part of what is going on now. But, you know, when a state court seems to me uh, puts a stop on a state law in the current climate. See, they can't invoke Roe versus Wade anymore. They can't say there is a federal constitutional right to uh, abortion. But it seems to me if they try to argue that there's some kind of right to privacy in the state constitution, that even though it's a different constitution, they can gain a lot of judicial wisdom from the reasoning in the Dobbs case. Reasoning point number one, is it in the text of the Constitution that there's a right to an abortion? Reasoning point number two, if it's not in the Constitution, is it anywhere in the history of the state? Have you had a history of assertions that there is a right to an abortion? Point number three, what does privacy mean? Now, you can have two meanings of privacy, right? Oh, somebody told me something, but I can't tell you what they said. Like privacy in terms of revealing information. Uh, the other type of privacy is I can't have the government come in here and start searching my house. All right? I can't have, I can't have, a, 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 I can't have a, a doctor put you know, medicine in me if I don't want it. Well, where do these understandings of privacy allow, how do these understandings of privacy allow us to take another life? Think about this for a moment. Because this is one of the things now that is being bantered about in reference to the Dobbs decision. 
folks on the other side, and you, you know, I saw a little clip from the that that, that ridiculous program, The View, um, talking about people getting infuriated. But you watch that, and that's the that's the you know throwing the things at the TV set or at the computer, as the case may be. How what these people are trying to to to, to fear monger is that oh they're they're coming after you now. Supreme Court is coming after you. They just took away the constitutional right to an abortion. Then they're going to take away contraception. They're going to take away the, the, the right that you have to marry a person of a different race. Other rights in relation to marriage, in relation to the education of your children, in relation to various applications of the doctrine of privacy. Hold on a second. The Supreme Court has already said in multiple places that the big difference between all these other cases and all these other forms of privacy, whether you agree with them or not, that's another question. But, but the difference between all those kinds of privacy issues and abortion is a very big difference. And this is precisely the difference that the other side doesn't want to admit. This, in fact, is the crux of the whole matter that it is only in abortion that we are talking about the purposeful ending of another life. You can say, I have privacy, don't bother me, but you can't say that that privacy gives you the authority to end another life. And it's the other life that distinguishes abortion from these other from these other things, and that protects this uh, uh, decision from affecting those other areas. The court made it clear, we're not relitigating the privacy rights of uh, these other areas of human activity. We're talking about a human activity that ends a human life. Well, okay, I um, we are in right now and I want to say this prayer as we're already coming to the conclusion of our time, which is unbelievable. Uh, Graciela, though, is asking a, a, an important question. Uh, let's put her question up. Um, what else can be done for mothers and babies for help beyond the womb? Where can the mother and baby seek financial and housing support? Okay, well, Graciela, this is an important question because there are many organizations whose mission is precisely to do that. Now, we in the in the movement to end abortion are seeking to protect the life of the baby. Once the life of the baby is under legal protection, then, of course, these these other questions of additional support come in. Many of the pregnancy centers will get the ball rolling with that because once they help the mom to ha have the baby, uh, they will provide, depending upon how they're set up and what resources are at their disposal, uh, they'll provide various kinds of assistance, uh, connecting them with education programs, with housing, with legal help, uh, with parenting skills, with um uh, various financial uh, grants. Some some state governments are putting more and more money. Like when Texas passed their heartbeat bill, uh, they also uh, uh, put money into that 
uh, into that bill to provide for this kind of assistance that the uh, pregnancy centers, for example, could offer. So pregnancy centers would be step one. But then, for example, I know in our own Catholic community, we have this massive uh, network of services under the umbrella of what we call Catholic charities. Look that up and you'll see the, you'll see uh, what I'm talking about. A vast, vast majority, not to mention the, the independent ministries from other denominations uh, and help like that that is available. And that, of course, of course, is all independent of government programs and so forth. But the bottom line is we all have to band together uh, even more than ever to provide the kind of help that uh, you are correctly uh, uh, referring to. But uh, what I was going to say, brothers and sisters, is as we come to the conclusion here, we are in now the days before a great celebration. We have more reason than ever to celebrate this this year uh, as we reach Independence Day, the 4th of July, one of my very favorite uh, holidays, and I trust that's true for many of you patriots who are watching now. This 4th of July, we have more reason to celebrate freedom than ever. The Supreme Court has been reaffirming freedom in so many ways. The freedom, in this Dobbs case, the freedom of the unborn to be protected. The freedom of us, we, of we, the people, to, to work with our legislators to protect them. A freedom that was taken away from us 50 years ago, but now restored. Uh, the freedom, for example, to practice our religion. The freedom to pray in public. Coach Kennedy, the freedom to send our our children to religious schools, the Carson case just decided out of the state of Maine, uh, the freedom to protect ourselves, the Bruin case decided just recently out of New York. Uh, these four big cases, all victories for freedom, because we're living in a country of freedom. And I composed a special prayer, short prayer, uh, for the uh, uh, get preparation for Independence Day. You can find it, and this is what I want to ask you to uh, do, invite you to do, prayercampaign.org. We create special prayers for different times and seasons of the year, like special observances like the 4th of July, prayercampaign.org. You'll be able to find there the prayer that I'm about to say and a bunch of other prayers as well. And uh, you may not be Catholic. You'll see some of these prayers are Catholic. But others, most of them, in fact, like the one I'm about to say, is really interdenominational. Uh, and may I invite you to pray it along with me, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer as we usually do. Let us pray. God, our Father, your Son Jesus spoke to us a message of peace and taught us to live as brothers and sisters. His message took form in the vision of our founding fathers as they fashioned a nation where all people might live as one. This message lives on in our midst as a task for us today and a promise for tomorrow. We thank you, Father, for your blessings in the past and for all that with your help we must yet achieve. Bless our nation and bless each of us. As we thank you for our independence, may we extend its blessings to our youngest brothers and sisters, the children in the womb, Hasten the day when our nation will be a nation with liberty and justice, not just for some, but for all. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And gathering together all our prayers, especially those of you that have left prayer intentions for health, for wisdom, for strength, for consolation, let's offer the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Well, friends, as we did last night, I'm going to come back uh, on to the channels that are linked from endabortion.tv at the top of the hour, live, together with Janet Morana. And we're going, we are, in these evenings, we are unpacking in greater detail the Dobbs decision, if you are interested in that and learning more about exactly what it says and the arguments that it uses, uh, join us again at the top of the hour for that. Uh, endabortion.tv is our broadcast channel at Priest for Life, and you'll see links there to the various social media platforms, which I also invite you to connect with me on at FR Frank Pavone on the major platforms at FR Frank Pavone. Of course, Truth Social uh getter and uh and the other the other the other platforms as well link with me there and connect also with right side broadcasting at rsb network thanks friends for watching tonight please tell others about this program let's continue to grow our online audience as patriots as disciples of christ let us pray for america and let us rejoice in the great gift which is this country have a great night talk to you soon This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.